Good morning. How are we doing? I'm doing great, Tim. Thank you. It's good to see you. There is a lot of people in here. Praise the Lord for that. This is the church, you know. That's who you are. That's who we are. We're the church. This is a building, and we've made this a house of prayer. And so like Selah said, Monday, Wednesday, or Thursday from 10 to 3, come up here. We'll be here. If we're not here, that prayer room is still available to you. We want you to pray and pray and pray because that's what we're commanded to do by Jesus. Ask anything in my name and it will be given to you. So I definitely invite you to do that. Um, also, as you come in every week, we offer um, a prayer guide. That prayer guide is, it has some prayer prompts. It also has a reading guide with it. Um, so right now you've been reading, if you grab that prayer guide last week or if you grab it today, what you'll be doing is reading different texts leading up to the, the Sunday sermon. So not only are we praying together, we're also reading God's Word together in conjunction with one another. So uh, I want to encourage you to do that. Also, like I don't know about you, but I have, and this is, this is just the honest truth, I have been blessed um, when it comes to praying for the unreached peoples of the world. It has just blessed my mornings to pray for people that I'll never meet. Asking the God of heaven to, to come down and to this earth to, to minister to, to preach the gospel to people who have never heard. And so to get to pray on that behalf, to get to ask God to intercede for us, to send more people to the places where the gospel has never gone, it's an extreme blessing. And so I want to encourage you to continue to do that, as we will continue to do that as a church. As you know, last week we started a new series. We are studying together the Sermon on the Mount. And I asked you to brace yourselves because we're going to be doing that for 12 weeks. So this is week two. We have ten more. We're going to study together every Sunday the Sermon on the Mount. Last week we discovered that this is Jesus' manifesto really to humanity, but, but to His church. This is Jesus' instruction manual to you, to me, as Christians, as the church of Jesus Christ. The Sermon on the Mount, it lays out for us how we are to live in this world that is so fallen so broken, um, so misguided in, in, a, in a culture that is so uh, divided. Jesus has told us, He has shared with us in His Word, three chapters long, all red letters, words straight out of the mouth of the Creator of the universe. This is how you live and operate as My people. And so today, last week, it was all about Christian blessing. We learned that uh, unless you're spiritually busted, that's when you are blessed by God. It's when you realize your need for God. God's Word says that that's when you become blessed by the Most High King and Lord of the universe. And today is all about how we bless others. And so today we're going to be in Matthew 5, and I'm going to read these verses. We'll have it on the screen, but if you have your Bible, Matthew 5, we're going to start in verse 13. Jesus says this, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give Glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let me pray for us. 
Father in heaven, I pray that in these next few moments you would use our time for your glory. God, through your Holy Spirit, would you touch the lives of the people in this room. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, we are to be useful, relevant, vital, impactful, influential to our society, to our culture. That's, that's a part of our DNA as the church. It's, it's our purpose. It's why we're here as the church of Jesus Christ. If we're not doing these things, if we're not being vital, if we're not being influential, if we're not being impactful, if we're not being useful, then we're not fulfilling our purpose. Last week we talked about how you're blessed, how I'm blessed, how the church is blessed. Today is all about how we bless others. And so Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. Now that statement, the salt of the earth, that's a statement we all well know. People know that statement even if they're not involved in the church. In fact, some of you may know this, uh, the title of a very famous song from 1968, the Rolling Stones, it was called The Salt of the Earth. Anybody remember that song? Oh yeah, okay. Not only that, but there's a very famous, one of the most famous photographers in the world right now, a guy by the name of Sebastio Salgado. They did a documentary on him uh, back in 2015. It was an Academy, nominated, an Academy Award nominated documentary. He's a very famous photographer. And the title of that documentary was called The Salt of the Earth. So that's just a couple of the wide variety of different things with the title of Salt of the Earth. And as popular as that song once was, maybe still is to some of you, and as good as that documentary is, they pale in comparison to the actual true intention of the words that came directly out of the mouth of the Creator of heaven and earth, Jesus Himself, you are the salt of the earth. That's not a command, by the way. That's just a fact. Jesus is not saying to you and to me, you know, uh, my intention for you as the church is to be, be the salt of the earth. Like, I, I really, I'm pulling for you all as my church to be the salt of the earth. I want you to really work hard to become the salt of the earth. I want you to focus. I want you to be a, be a, a community of people where you try to become the salt of the earth. That's not what Jesus is saying. He says, you are the salt of the earth. This is by our nature, church. We are the salt of the earth. This is our being. It's who we are. Jesus is saying, you are the salt of the earth. And quite honestly, this is one of the most genius comparisons I've ever heard. But it can easily be lost in translation if we're not careful. Because salt to us is nothing more than really a tool for, or a, uh, a spice or whatever you want to call it for cooking. It's, it's what we use to season our foods. It's, it's what we use for flavoring, right? Salt. That's, it's nothing more than just a, a condiment. It, it sits on our table right next to Pepper, salt and pepper. Salt is just salt, and we know it as, you know, we use it for cooking and seasoning and flavoring. It's like the key ingredient for most foods. Um, another key ingredient, by the way, for most foods is onions. I hate onions. <laughs> they are the most disgusting food on planet Earth by a long shot. But my dad always likes to trick me. He always likes to trick me and say, but you do realize that I've used onions for about 90% of the foods I cooked for you growing up. I just chopped them up in little bitty pieces so you couldn't see them. I love my dad's chili, but if I see onions in it, I will not eat it. I hate onions, but onions, onions are used to cook so many 
different foods. And many of you know that. Many of you already know that. Well, so is salt. Salt is used for, used for so many different foods. You could even say salt is used more than onions. Who's going to eat a baked potato without salt? I'm not. Who's going to eat watermelon without salt? No way. Mitch Norby. Put your hand down, sir. <laughs> the guy in the red shirt. Uh, what about ramen noodles? I mean, ramen noodles are only on, based on circumstances that you would actually eat ramen noodles, but it is impossible to eat a bowl of ramen noodles without salt. Right? So salt is, is, is used for various different things. It's, it's honestly quite essential in our cooking, in our day-to-day -day lives. We've even searched the earth for salt that's better than salt. Himalayan salt. That's all people are raving about. I don't want salt. Do you, do you have Himalayan salt? You ask a, a server at a restaurant if you can have Himalayan salt. Let me know what they, how they respond to you. Himalayan salt, it's like salt 2.0. It's salt that's better than salt. It's Himalayan salt. It's from the Himalayan mountains in the far corner of the earth. But the reality is we love our salt. We do. We all love our salt. We use it for almost everything. However, back in Jesus' day, when Jesus Christ walked this earth, salt was way more vital to human life than just flavor. It was actually used more commonly as a preservative. So centuries, you have to think back, centuries before refrigeration was ever a thing. We all love our refrigerators. We all love our freezers. But they didn't have that back then. Jesus was alive. Salt was used to keep meat wholesome, prevent the meat from decaying. Take, for example, steak or chicken. Now, when you go to the store, you usually see on meat there's a sticker that says best used by or used before. So you know what? I need to eat this meat before that date. Otherwise, it's going to expire. It's going to spoil. It's going to get bad. But if you don't eat that meat before it expires, before that date on that sticker, what do you do? You stick it in the freezer. That's how you preserve it. You don't have to worry about it spoiling when it's in the freezer. You don't have to worry about it becoming rotten. It's preserved. It's safe. You can thaw it out later, even years down the road. Well, this is the case for salt in the first century. When Jesus walked the earth, this, this salt of the earth had great, great meaning to his followers, to the people that were in that audience listening to his words. Salt did what freezers couldn't do for the first century people. It preserved their meat. So they would rinse out their meat. They would rub salt all over it. Usually coarse salt, so it was thicker salt. They'd rub it all over the meat. And then they would even insert it in the meat. And then they would put it in a cooler environment, 60 degrees or lower, usually in like a, a basement of some, of some sort. And that meat would absorb the moisture. So it would keep it, it would dry it out and keep it from getting bacteria and fungi in that meat. They would, so the salt was essential in preserving meat. So if they went to their local market and they bought some meat and they said, you know what, I have a change of uh, uh, hunger. I don't want the steak, the, this beautiful steak. I don't want it. Well, what are we going to do? We have to eat it like in the next day. Well, let's preserve it. Well, we don't have a refrigerator. What's a refrigerator? I don't know, but we don't have one. <laughs> All right, well, go get the salt. Honey, go get the salt. And they would put salt all up on that meat, inside that meat. They would take it to a cooler place. And they would preserve it for later. And they could even do that for decades if it's done right. So salt, huge, huge meaning in Jesus' day. 
And this is who we are to be, Jesus says. You are to be the salt of the earth. That's you. That's the very seat that you're sitting in. Jesus, the Son of God, is saying to you, to His church, you are the salt of the earth. We preserve society, church. We keep people, human beings, from spoiling, from decaying. Human life from deteriorating. We prevent people from deterioration. Whether that's from disease, addiction, self-pity, anxiety, worry. Worry will crush a human spirit. And Jesus is saying, you are salt to that person. You preserve that person from worry. From letting worry determine their joy, determine their lives. Think about it in this way. If we preserve society, let's go deeper. You're a life preserver, church. That's who you are. There's people in this world, maybe in your circle of influence, they're drowning because of addiction. They're drowning because of self-pity. They're drowning because of anxiety. They're drowning because of depression. Because culture it just infuses these types of things in the human condition. And Jesus Christ, the Creator of the universe, is saying to us, His church, you are the ones who step in the gap and you preserve those people. You offer a life preserver to them. That's what it means to be the salt of the earth. We add to people's lives, church. We improve the quality of life. We don't take away from it. Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it in abundance. We add value to people's lives. It's what draws people into the church. Jesus says, I have come that you may have life to the full. If we're not experiencing life to the full in our own lives, then the life of this church, how can we be salt to the rest of the world? And so as salt adds value to the quality of food, we as the church should add value to the quality of life. We draw people in. We don't turn people away. There should be something about the life of this church that people notice they need. Think about your family, your household. Are you living in a way as a family that people on the outside, outsiders, non-Christians, they see something that they need? Whether that's eternal life, there's a void in the human heart, a hole that only God can fill. That's what the Bible says. And we are so immersed into our culture, whatever your job is, your profession, however you make money, you will always be searching for the next thing. Maybe you get that check that gives you stability for a long time. That gives you joy, and that no doubt will make you happy. But once that money runs out, you will be searching again. And Jesus is saying, I'm the one who comes to fulfill all your needs. Church, in your own household, are people on the outside, do they notice something that they need? Are you being salt? The world, this is just the reality. This has always been the reality since Jesus walked this earth. The world needs the church. The world needs followers of Jesus. The world needs you. The world needs you. That's something to take 
out of this building with to go into your week. This world needs you. How incredible is that? Why? Because we offer hope. We have to be an environment of people that creates such an environment where people can survive, where people can thrive, where they can live with joy no matter circumstances. This world is fading away. It's spoiling. This world is temporary. That's what the Bible says. God will make a new heaven and a new earth. This earth, it will pass away. All of these globalists, they're trying to prolong this world. Jesus knows the day and the hour when this world will become no more. But we are eternal. As the church, we've been given eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And as this world fades away, people will fade away with it. This is the truth of Scripture. We have got to be the salt of the earth. Preserve society. Preserve human lives. The very things that are killing and destroying people's lives. The very things that are killing and destroying families. Those things stop having their effect once people become a part of the church. They do. That's the power of the Gospel. Anger turns to patience when Christ makes His home in you. Hatred turns towards forgiveness. Pride turns towards humility and sadness to joy. That's what happens when the Gospel intersects with culture. Anger. Anger to patience. Hatred to forgiveness. Pride to humility. Sadness to joy. That is what the power of the Gospel of Jesus Christ can do to the human life. Be salt, church. It's a beautiful thing also when those things happen. When you notice those in the, in the lives of people, people who used to be so angry, now they're so patient, so kind, so loving, slow to speak, quick to listen. People who used to be, have hate towards one another, now they can forgive. Why? Because it's humanly possible? Maybe. Perhaps not. But it is possible through the Gospel. And that's a beautiful thing when those happen. And so as the salt of the earth, we should be making this world a more pure and better place to live. Matthew, uh, Jesus goes on. He says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Because salt was such a massive, I'm talking a massive commodity, and Jesus' day, it was actually used by the Roman Empire to pay their soldiers with. So instead of actually getting money, which we would all rather have money in the 21st century than a bag of salt, but in Jesus' day, those Roman soldiers, it was more likely that they would get paid in salt than in money. That's how important salt was in their day. So the, the monthly payment that the Romans received was called a salarium. It's an allowance of salt. It's actually where we get the word salary. So if a soldier wasn't doing what he was supposed to, if he wasn't doing what he was commanded to do, if he wasn't doing his job, they would often say he wasn't worth his salt. Now we know that saying, don't we? That's a statement we actually, we know that statement. He's not worth his salt. She's not worth her salt. So here's the big question for you, for me. 
this is all of us, are we worth our salt? I believe that's what Jesus is asking. Are we as His church, are we worth our salt? What's your uh, spiritual formation like right now in your life? How are you growing spiritually in your life and in your household? Because if you're just coming up here on Sundays, I would argue with you that that's just simply not enough. So what's your spiritual formation look like in your life and in the life of your family? Are you worth your salt, church? Or are you being useless? Jesus says if if salt has lost its taste, it is no longer good for anything. It is no longer good for anything. That's Jesus speaking. Except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Are you worth your salt? This is the creator of the universe, the author and perfecter of our faith, speaking to us today. Are you worth your salt? Because Jesus is saying, if you're not, then you're useless. Nobody wants to hear that. You're not hearing it from me, by the way. You're hearing it from your Savior and Lord. If salt loses its saltiness, it's useless. It's not even salt. It might as well be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. It's like when you get in the car the next morning to go to work and your coffee cup's in your car and it's got a little bit of coffee from the day before or maybe it's been a couple of days and you just haven't used it yet. And so you want to use it when you get to work. So what, what happens is uh, on your way to work, you stop at a light and you realize that coffee's still in there. It's been spoiled. It's, it's bad. It smells bad. It looks bad. It starts growing fungus in it. So you open your door. You're that person and you just pour it out in the street and you drive on to work. But then that next car comes behind and drives right over it. This is the imagery Jesus is giving us. If you're not worth your salt, you're useless. It might as well just be trampled under people's feet. Really, it comes down to this. You're either a Christian or you're not. There is no medium. You are either in Christ or you're not. You're either a Christian or you're not. You're either worth your salt or you're not. As followers of Christ, if, if Christ is in you, if the Holy Spirit dwells in you, Jesus is saying you are the salt of the earth. And as the salt of the earth, we all have certain qualities that we should be demonstrating to the world. Or else we'll cease to be what Jesus has called us to be. Salt. We'll just be useless. And unfortunately, that's a big problem in the American church. That's why I think we're given such a bad rap. Many Christians and many churches have lost their saltiness. They've stopped being salt. They've forgotten their purpose. It's no wonder the world views the church the way they do. We're supposed to be people of... All of the qualities we, we talked about last week. We're supposed to be people of mercy and humility and peace, justice and righteousness. This is what it means to be followers of Christ. That's how we enhance society. That's how we bring flavor to this world. That's how we preserve the human condition. That's how we draw people in. That's how we make the world a better place. 
We can't do that if we lose our purpose. If we're the ones that are too busy judging people, hating people, tearing people down, blasting other people on social media, or if we're isolating ourselves, we're not in community with other believers, but we're rather isolating ourselves, or as the church, we're just living in our own Christian bubble, we're not getting out into the world, being salt, if we're just stuck in our Christian bubble, then then we're useless. We're absolutely useless. It's good to be familiar with each other. But we've got to be familiar with our world. We've got to understand that it's spoiling. People are decaying. They're rotting away if they don't have Christ in them. And that's what I want us to be at Hillcrest Church. I want us to make a difference. I want us to be the salt that Jesus says we are. Not His hopes at who we become, but what Jesus says we are. And so if you're thinking, man, I don't know, Nate, this world is way too big. Jesus is saying I'm supposed to be the salt of the whole earth? This earth is huge. I can't even fathom how big this earth is. It reminded me of a movie I once watched. It's one of my favorite movies, actually. It's called Man of Steel. It's just part of the Superman origin story. And there's a scene in Man of Steel where Clark Kent, Superman, was a young boy. He started to develop his powers and he became overwhelmed. He knew that he was an alien in a foreign land. So what he did was he hid himself in a closet at a school. He was so overwhelmed. Well, his mom, Martha Kent, came to the school, and she's on the other side of the door, and here's a conversation between the two. Clark says, the world is too big, Mom. Martha says, well, make it small. Focus on my voice. Pretend it's an island out in the ocean. Do you see it? And Clark says, I see it. And so if if Jesus' words here are way too complex, uh, the world is so big, I'm supposed to be salt to the whole world, how can I fathom that? Then minimize it. Don't focus on the world. What if you focused on the one? What if you were salt to one person this week? What if you stepped into a conversation? What if you decided, you know what, I never really pray for people in public, but I'm going I'm to do that. I'm going to start being salt on this earth. There's one person and I know that they're not in Christ. They're not, they haven't been to church in years or even decades, and I'm going to go be salt to that person. I'm going to speak life into them. I'm going to pray for them. And whether they believe after or not, it's entirely up to the Lord Jesus Christ, but I'm going to be faithful and I'm going to be salt. I'm going to speak life. What if you did that just to one person? I guarantee you it will bless your life. One person to one person to one person. Don't think of the world and earth, what Jesus says, as being so unfathomable and so big and so impossible. Minimize it. Bring it down to the one. Who's one person you can be salt of the earth to? Here's what I want to do just real quick. I want to ask every single person in this room to just close your eyes just for a moment, just for 20 seconds. And I just want to ask you to think of one person. Who's one person that you can be salt to this week? Just close your eyes just, just for 20 seconds or so and just think of one person. One person that you can be salt to this week. You can open your eyes. Church, whoever that one person is, you can, you can ask others to help you guide, guide you into that direction, into that one person. Maybe it's a stranger, you don't know who it is. But I hope before our time is over today that you've prayed and you're asking God to, to show you who that one person is this week that you can approach, that you can speak life into, you, you can be salt to.
Jesus goes on. You are the light of the world. So salt is what you are. It's who you are. You're a preservative. Light is what you do. You illuminate. That's the purpose of light. It reveals what's in the darkness. And it shows people the way. Jesus says in John 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows Me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So when Jesus was on this earth, physically, He was the light of the world. But they crucified Him. They killed Him. But then He rose from the dead. And what He's doing is saying, now you are the light of the world. Jesus was the light of the world. Now His light shines through His church. You are the light of the world. We become a refuge for other people. Jesus is telling us that we are the light that is to shine so that others can find their way. I could easily ask you to pause again and say, who's, who's someone in my life that I know who's lost their way? That I can be a light to, a beacon of hope, to lead them to Jesus, we've got to be a refuge for other people. People who have lost their way. Those who are walking in darkness. Outsiders, non-Christians, who are they? Are you light? In fact, do they see light in you? Do you illuminate in the darkness? Do you glow? Do you stick out in your life? Are you so excited about the kingdom of God? Do you love Jesus so much that it just lights up a room? Do you change the atmosphere of a room when you walk in it because the light of the Gospel exists inside of you? Or are you easily conformed to the ways of this world, the patterns of this world? Have you, have you so much immersed yourself in this culture that your light is dim? i got good news for you. Jesus says you're the light of the world whether you act on it or now. It all comes back to how do you spend your time? Do you spend time with Jesus do you ask for His help to illuminate in the darkness through your light? Does your light shine? Jesus goes on, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. So you wouldn't, you wouldn't hide a lamp under a table, would you? You wouldn't put a basket over a light. That would defeat the purpose of the light. It's just like salt losing its saltiness. It just becomes useless. It's, it's not even salt. Jesus says, let your light shine. Be a city on a hill. Be a light on a stand. What does He say? For all to see. Let your light shine. A few years ago, and this is a true story, some couple of guys went in into the city of Seattle, downtown Seattle in fact, and they were looking to plant a church, and so they were just getting familiar with the city, and, and they were just out doing good things, good, doing good deeds, talking to people, praying with people, um, buying people meals, getting involved in the community for a couple of days, trying to get familiar with downtown Seattle. They were helping strangers out, talking to strangers, praying for all of these things. And as they kind of uh, got familiar with the city over the, course of, over the course of a couple of days, they came into this local coffee shop. Now they're talking about, all right, this is what we've done, this is what we can do. And they're, they're talking about new strategies and new things that they could implement when they started their church in Seattle. And it just so happened, true story, two atheists who were friends were sitting in the coffee shop with them. And they could hear them talking, their whole conversation. And they piped in, they piped in and they said, 
what are you guys doing? You doing something with the church? I said, well, you know, we're just out here serving and loving this city. We're just organizing things and trying to make this place a better, vibrant city. That's all we're doing. Eventually, we want to start a church. That's our plan. That's our goal. And no joke, these two atheists, this is a true story. They said, can we give money toward your church plan? Because this city needs more people like you in it. And so these two atheists, these non-believers, they don't believe in the gospel, they started tithing to this new church plant. And on the very first day that this church launched in downtown Seattle, they were there. How incredible is that? Light, it illuminates darkness. In fact, light extinguishes darkness. Are you light, church? You cannot view evangelism as a burden. You can't view evangelism as a burden, as a weight on your shoulders. You have to think of it as a privilege. You get to serve Almighty God, the Creator and Sustainer of the universe. And He has called you by your name. And He has said, be the light of the world. What a privilege that is. That is not a burden. Walk in that. Be confident in that. You're not going to be perfect. None of us are. None of us are going to live out these the Sermon on the Mount, perfectly. It will never happen. Don't try to. Don't seek perfection. Jesus is so incredibly gracious to us. But walk in what Jesus says. Be obedient to it. And with His help, you will illuminate darkness. And the idea of loving your enemy, the more immersed you are in Jesus, that won't be foreign to you. That'll just be the nature of your life. Jesus goes on in verse 16. He says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. All of these things that we talked about last week, righteousness, mercy, peace, love, forgiveness, those aren't just indicative of God's blessing on your life. They're meant to be a blessing to other people. Another question, are you a blessing to other people? A question I have to ask myself in my own personal life, am I being a blessing to other people? Whether people you know, whether people are strangers to you, whether people in this church or outside of this church, can people look at the way that you live your life and see Christ in you? They see a difference. Even atheists turn their heads and say, I, I don't know what it is about them, but I want it. Does your light shine? Or is your lamp on a stand for all to see? Or have you hidden your light? Is it under a basket? Is it covered up where nobody can see it? Do you walk in a room and nobody notices because your light is so dim it has no effect? Or do you walk in a room and your light illuminates the darkness? You walk in a room and, and the atmosphere changes because there's a follower of the God of the universe in that room. Demons flee at the name of Jesus. They know His power. They know His glory. Wouldn't it be cool if people who are far from God knew that too? Because of how we live our lives? Let me ask you something. When was the last time you invited someone to this church? When was the last time you had someone over for dinner who wasn't like you? Maybe perhaps someone in your neighborhood, but, but they're not a Christian. But you invited them over anyway because you wanted to be light to them. 
Because Jesus says you are the salt of the earth. When was the last time you encouraged somebody who wasn't like you? When was the last time you came alongside someone to help them in their own faith? Do you pray with people for whatever reason? Is there people in the church or outside of it that you know they're hurting, they're struggling, they're having challenges in their life? What if a follower of Jesus Christ came up to them and said, hey, can I pray with you? My God hears my prayers. How incredible is that? What does your light look like? Does your light shine? Does it illuminate the room? Does it change the atmosphere of any room that you walk in? Because you are so excited about Jesus. You know what I want to see? Church, in this building at Hillcrest Christian Church, I want to see new families coming to this church. I want to see that nursery full of babies. Because there's something about this place. It's different. Hope is found in this building because of the people in it. I want to see new people. I want to see singles, young adults coming to this place because light extinguishes darkness. Because Hillcrest Christian Church is a beacon of hope. I want to see that nursery full. And that's what I've been praying for. This is not your building. You don't own it. It's not yours. By God's grace, this place will still be here when you're long gone. Because the church of Jesus Christ will prevail. Nothing, nothing, nothing in all creation will stand against it. I, I can't do it on my own. I need your help. Jesus Christ, your Savior, the one who died on the cross for your sins, who filled you with his Holy Spirit is saying, you are the salt of the earth. Be confident in that. And then if he could just one-up himself, he's saying, be the light of the world too. Go out and preserve light and illuminate darkness. You have the ability to do that because God's Spirit dwells in you. I want to um, illustrate uh, what Jesus is trying to say when he says, I am the light of the world. I want to illustrate it in a very unique way, actually. And I'll end with this story. Jesus tells you as His church that you are the light of the world. So, in the beginning of the Bible, the very beginning, it's going to get a little dark in here, but don't freak out, just pay attention to my voice. Jesus is saying you are the light of the world. You know, in the very beginning of the Bible, it says that God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty, and darkness hovered over the deep. And then God spoke and said, let there be light, and there was light. And the light was good. And then God continued in His creation story, and He created man, and God had a perfect relationship with man. He walked in the garden in the, in the cool of the day. Nothing had separated man and God at that point in creation until something did. Sin had entered into the cosmos. Man had rebelled against God. And then once again, there was darkness. But see, all throughout Scripture, all throughout the Old Testament, it pointed to a Savior, one who would be born King of the Jews, a light to the Gentiles. And Jesus came into the world. And so therefore, light came into the world. 
How incredible is it now that uh, today, even though they crucified Him, they murdered the, the Creator of the universe, they hung Him on a cross, they put Him in a tomb, they thought that they silenced Him, and then on the third day, light walked out of that tomb. Jesus is that light. And as, after He ascended into heaven, one of the things that He has told you and me is that we are now the light of the world, a city set on a hill. Not under a lamp, or under a table, or under a basket, where nobody can see, but the light of the world. That's who Jesus says we are. Now, how cool is this? Uh, Something happens, something miraculously even happens uh, in the life of the church when we are the light of the world. When you go out and actually uh, be the light, because that's what Jesus is saying to every single person in this room, shine your light. Shine your light. And what happens when, when Jesus uh, commands us to do this and we go out and we, we are light to another person, what happens? Somebody else becomes that light. And then another person becomes that light. And then another person becomes that light. How incredible is this? If you have your phone, pull it out because you are the light of the world. Somebody has touched your life and caused you to be alive with Christ. What happens when the church actually goes out into community, in our neighborhoods, out in the world, and we become that light, and we are that light, and we pass that light onto others, it shines so bright that other people are affected by it. And they become that light. That's how the church prevails. That's how we preserve society. That's how we are salt. That's how we are light. You can turn the lights on. Because if we are who Jesus says we are, not, that what, not what Jesus suggests of us, but if we are who... The worship team can go ahead and come back up. If, if we are who Jesus says we are, then our light, it illuminates darkness. When people come into this place, they experience the light of the world. You are the light of the world, church. You are the light of the world. I hope you believe that. I hope you believe that about yourself, and I hope you believe that about Hillcrest, that our God and Savior and Lord is saying we are the light of the world. So as they sing, uh, I want to invite anybody, as we worship one last time together, to come up here. Uh, If you're not a Christian, if Christ does not live in you, if you've never said, I want to follow Jesus, if you've never been baptized, I want to invite you to come up during this song. I want to baptize you into Christ. God would fill you with His Holy Spirit. You will become a child of God. That's what it means to follow Jesus. You're set apart by the Gospel. Baptism is a way to do that. It's biblical. If you've never been baptized, I want to invite you to come up during this song. If you need prayer, I want to invite you to come up. You can also go to the prayer room. Your time of worship with with Jesus is not over when we leave this building. That should never, ever stop. Uh, Jesus says, you, you worship me in spirit and in truth, not just in buildings. And so church, let's, let's stand to our feet. Let's worship together. And then I'll pray for us on our way out for the day.